0: wmqa hello and welcome to wmqa i'm dan Grote
1: and i'm matt laswitz
0: uh and our guest this week is the new writer of dc's harley quinn uh as well as books like butcher of paris red atlantis a man among you and the upcoming nuclear family from aftershock please welcome back for her third appearance on wmqa dr stephanie phillips
2: (laughs) hey guys thanks so much for having me
0: absolutely yeah uh, so, uh, two big bits of news in that intro. Uh, let, let's start off with uh, the, the the new title. Uh, you got your PhD in uh, rhetoric and comp recently. Congratulations.
2: Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's uh, kind of weird finishing in the middle of a pandemic because graduation got to be like one little slide on the computer screen and... Uh, you know, I'm thrilled, but my mom was like, oh, we should have had a, there's, you know, we should have been able to go to a ceremony. And I was like, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> so, <laughs> we had mixed feelings on that.
0: <laughs> that, that. Then then you dodged a bullet then?
2: Yes, for me, my mom was still, uh, you know, she, she insisted on ordering like the, the, I don't even, they call it something different, like gowns and hoods or something. So she insisted on getting all of that, Um and just making me sit in the house in it, so <laughs> she's awesome.
0: <laughs> like, like on a, a, a Zoom type thing, or just, just like around yeah. the house.
2: <laughs> I mean, a little of both. She like wanted to take pictures, but again, we we really didn't want to go anywhere specifically because it's sure. like, well, that's why we're not having a ceremony because there's a pandemic. So <laughs> um, mostly just, you know, she took pictures in the backyard and made me wear it when they announced my PhD at the like kind of Zoom ceremony thing. So
0: mm-hmm.
2: yeah, she got what she wanted. So <laughs>
0: <laughs> now uh, will, will, do you expect that your students will be more afraid of you now going forward? <laughs>
2: Um, You know, that's, that's tough. I mean, it's, it's weird because everything is so online now that I'm just working with like faceless people. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I I would say that like very seriously, our mood right now is all of us, myself, students included, are just like, what the hell is happening? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there's more uh i don't know if fear is the right word and just uh like existential dread as a mm-hmm. as a full-on class
0: <laughs> no that that makes perfect sense and it's it's funny i was listening to uh the playback from the podcast that we re- recorded last monday And it was, you know, brimming with, with, with optimism and, and, oh man, all we got to do is just make it through these next few months and get vaccinated. And then Wednesday happened and it just sort of changed, you know?
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We were actually told today, um, like our union sends a lot of updates about the vaccine because as Uh an educator, we're supposed to, in New York, be wave two of the vaccine okay Um, but then this morning uh cuomo put out like a release that was like the plan the part two of this vaccine wave only includes k through 12 because you know college instructors are not educators (laughs) so (laughs) it was very weird but you know luckily uh you know we have a great union and i think by the end of day they've already made some some headway on getting that changed so um I have a feeling that will be reversed by the end of the week but just odd.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, that, that that that's good. That's certainly good if it happens. Um
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: So yeah, this this past week as we're recording uh DC put out uh Future State Harley Quinn number 1, uh written by you, drawn by Simone De colored by Tamara Bonvillain. uh and uh it turns out you're going to be hanging around Harley for a while. So again, mm-hmm. congrats. That's huge. Thank uh we're, we're very excited for you. Um the first issue sold out. Uh you know, what was What was your journey to this? You know, uh, did you pitch DC? Did they, you know, did they offer you Harley? How did that all uh, come about?
2: Yeah, they offered me Harley. Um, I had done a few short stories with DC in the past, and you know, the editors there really shuffle around. They work with each other, so um, I had some really great experiences on those short stories. With um, the first one, I got to work with Riley Rosmo, who's continuing with me on the ongoing and Mm -hmm. um, I mean I think the editor um, myself Riley we all just really clicked and um, I'm really thrilled that that kind of came back full circle because you know um, almost what a year later now we're working on Harley Quinn together as an ongoing and that's that's just super cool that you know my first experience at DC kind of turned into something so big Um, so they initially asked me to work with them on the two-part future state and then I think by the time we were wrapping up the script for part two they called and asked if I just wanted to stay on and just keep going with Harley and I was like, does, would anybody say no to this? Like, what is <laughs> uh so that's uh yeah and I think I cried for you know a couple days like you do when you get good news and uh it definitely terrified my mother calling up sobbing and her being like oh my god are you dead no I'm crying I am not dead that does not make sense um and, try- and then trying to explain that I'm crying because it's good <laughs> it's like, <laughs> um it was a lot of emotions so um yeah I mean it, it really kind of came full circle back to that Wildcat story with Riley and just really gelling with, with him as an artist and a collaborator. And uh, yeah, we're really keeping that on Harley Quinn. Like we talk every single day, uh, we share designs. we share inspiration, random ideas. Um, you know, we'll just keep throwing things out there and see what sticks. And I think it makes for a much stronger story in the end to have all of us just really on board with the direction of, of Harley.
0: That that's awesome, and I and I definitely want to get back to, to Riley uh, in a bit. Uh, you know, now that the book's been out there for uh, a week, how you know how how has the reaction been uh, on your end from from people?
2: it seems really positive which which is great like it's uh it's kind of a scary character to take on one that has just such a huge established readership so coming into that group it's like wow are these people just going to absolutely hate me but um it's it's nice that it's been really positive and uh i think a cool community to kind of get to be a part of um you know meeting and talking with cosplayers and people that are just very invested in the Harley Quinn fandom and getting to kind of connect with them online is I think a really cool facet of writing a character this big, which can you know, definitely be daunting, but you know, having these people that are like, oh, we like your take and we're excited for this. And that's been, um, yeah, it's been like energizing to go take that back to a script and be like, okay, I think we're on to something really positive here.
0: Um, how far back do you go with, with the character, with, with Harley?
2: I def I you know the first appearance for me uh was in the animated series I believe was the first time I I ever saw her. I watched that show religiously as a child <laughs> and I know that's the first time I saw her and then um I know around like college and then when I first started grad school, I went through this kind of Harley Quinn phase. Uh, I liked the fact that she had kind of this anti-hero vibe and a PhD and I was going, I had just started school for the PhD and so that was something that I was like, oh, this is super cool. And at the time I was working at a um, pottery studio where people would come in, like do parties and they would paint pottery, but I was responsible for like the kiln and I would make sample pieces of the pottery to kind of put out on display. And I just decided I was just going to paint everything Harley Quinn. (laughs) (laughs) um, At some point I had turned the store into like, uh, I don't know if you know those kind of like, where are you Starbucks mugs that have city, landscapes on them or okay. cityscapes around them. I was doing like, I did one that was Gotham and one that was Metropolis. And those were like our sample pieces. So um, it's funny because I think I, I still have the Harley Quinn mug and my mom found it. And so she was all excited to kind of bring it back to this moment of like, re- remember when you were just painting like black and red diamonds on everything. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's really cool to, to now get to pen that character.
1: Uh, definitely. Harley is, let's go with wacky. Uh, (laughs) uh, Her stories often tread a sort of fine line between, you know, superhero action and full-on slapstick comedy. Um, How are you working to balance those two aspects of the character?
2: Um, I think, so my my line on this has been kind of going forward and something that I, I initially pitched with editorial is that the funniest people are often the saddest. And I want to explore that side of Harley through her humor. And I think it's a little cliche to just be like, oh, you know, people are using humor as a defense. And I think Harley is a little deeper than that. I think she uses it to gauge the scene. Like, how are people reacting to this humor? And that allows her to then read them. And she's very intelligent. So one of her best skills is being able to read the room quickly and then act. And sometimes that action is like, okay, I'm just going to smash everything in the room, which often works. And sometimes, you know, in the case of Future State, where she can't smash things, she has to find another outlet. So she's really using that humor to kind of push Jonathan Crane and engage him in a way that he eventually just kind of breaks down. And I think that that's a really cool element to Harley is that she can do that and then get herself back into the position of being able to smash things with a hammer and a bat, which is, you know, obviously what we come for with Harley. Um, (laughs) But I do want to add that other dimension of, I do think she's one of the smartest people in the room at any given time. And I want that to really flourish with her Um, while not losing the colorful and fun and vibrant Harley that we've seen with people like Sam Humphreys and um, obviously Jimmy and Amanda and what they've done so I want to bring that into a slightly darker take since she's coming back to Gotham and not just any Gotham but a Gotham that was just destroyed by the Joker War so um, bringing that sensibility of Harley and putting her in just a really dark setting which I think is a lot of fun.
0: Um. In in future state, you know, you're writing in a Gotham that has outlawed masks. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, obviously that's bad news for for Batfolk uh, of mm-hmm. of all stripes. You know, is is there is there a, a non spoilery way that it it helps?
2: Um, that's a good question. So I think it might help Harley, and that she's kind of this in between character, someone that hasn't worn specifically like the same kind of mask we're talking about to hide her identity in the way that, um, you know, Batman has a cowl or something. Mm -hmm. Um, But it also allows, and again, I'm trying not to spoil too much. That's why I thought about this question. Um, So I guess the non-spoilery way of saying this is we will see her interact with the masks like kind of metaphorically and literally in the next issue. And I really wanted the masks to kind of come into play as how things are resolved Mm -hmm for better or worse by issue two. Um, Since that was really kind of the theme we were playing with is how does this character who's never really tried to conceal, Like, I mean, some of her mask is pretty permanent with the acid wash skin, things that you can't really undo with Harley, but I don't see her as somebody that makes a big attempt to like, go out of her way with like full face shield kind of thing. <laughs> um, so that, that's really, I think, fun to play with is pitting her against other people that are kind of reconciling their relationship with mass, black mask going in the direction of everybody should wear a mask and crane kind of the opposite direction of that with giving up the mask to serve the magistrate.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, no, in the first issue, uh, you know, Harley is, is, is matching wits uh, of a sort with with crane uh the the artist formerly known as scarecrow uh you know and and the thing about these two is is they're both psychologists uh only you know crane used it in his act where whereas you know writers kind of have had to you know remind us every so often that harley was a psychiatrist before she met mr J. you know uh what what makes what makes people and by that i mean like you know characters in gotham Uh, want to underestimate harley in this way you know even long after she's been you know gotten out from under the joker's shadow
2: i think that has a lot to do with kind of her past behavior which is really wrapped up in joker she was never really at the forefront of what was going on she was always either behind him or at his side and everything she did started and ended with Joker and so it's really hard to then see and take somebody seriously as this like fully actualized individual when they've really cast themselves that way and I think that's what makes her so dynamic because this is somebody who is clearly flawed and I think flawed characters are the most interesting to try to give them redemption in a way that maybe is possible for her but also there's probably going to be a lot of backsteps because this is Harley Quinn um, if presented with a problem, you know, is she always going to now just take the high road? Probably not. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. There's going to be some missteps. And at this point in time, you know, given the events of Joker War, I think what's really funny is her relationship with Batman has kind of changed. You know, I, if, I don't know if any... I don't think I'm spoiling too much because Joker War has been out for a while, but, um, you know, Harley kind of steps in at the end to do something that Batman can't do and just Mm -hmm. say, I'm going to end this once and for all with Joker. And it really kind of solidifies a much more positive relationship with Batman than I think we've seen in quite some time with Harley. Um, But that will lead to a whole new host of issues, which is now she's trying to look for redemption, but she's got, you know, the, the the biggest of the baddiest looking over her shoulders now to make sure she's on the up and up. Like, if she messes up, it's not just, oh, I fucked up, like, now you've got Batman keeping tabs on you. Like, that's, that's a tall order of, uh, you know, making amends in Gotham. <laughs> so, um, I think that's, that's really fun to play with, though, because, you know, her trying to solve an issue isn't going to be the same way Batman solves an issue or Nightwing. There's probably going to be a lot more dynamite involved. And, uh, <laughs> but at the end of the day, I think her heart is going to be in the right place. And, and that's really fun to, to write and obviously work on with someone like Riley.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, it's not like Harley isn't used to having somebody looking over her shoulder and being scary. <laughs> I mean, she was working with Amanda Waller. This yeah. one person who <laughs> might intimidate Batman.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I would, I would say, like, Harley has an interesting kind of uh, dynamic there, though, where she, she did what she had to in Suicide Squad, and her records are, you know, officially wiped and clean. But I think even the dynamic with Batman is slightly different here, because she almost wants to make him proud. Uh, it's just she forgets every once in a while that the old Harley... Dynamic and tricks aren 't always going to be the way to solve something, mm-hmm. um, so I think we're kind of at a point now where her her relationship turned a, a new corner with Batman, and she she doesn't want to let him down like Gotham's at a horrible point in time, and she's kind of finding herself accountable so even though she wasn 't with the Joker during Joker War, her stepping in to end it was her saying you know i I am partially to blame for enabling this really horrible maniac for so long. The least I can do for Gotham is get rid of him. And, uh, you know, I think that's kind of, in some ways, what has uh, Batman looking a little bit more favorably at her. Like, you were willing to do something really drastic, even if he doesn't agree with murder. You were willing to do something so drastic to really save the entire city, even if it meant that you go down with the ship. Um, so yeah, I, th- I do think, yes, Amanda Waller is terrifying and Batman is also terrifying, but I do think that the motivation for Harley to impress one over the other uh, drives her a little bit more in this series.
0: Certainly. Um, reading the first issue, it, it, it occurs to me, or actually it reoccurs to me, um, Gotham villains have some ridiculous names, like real names. Like, you know, Garfield, Linz, Laszlo, Valentine, Oswald Cobblepot, probably the goat of, of all those. Yep. Uh, you know, it, it, it's like a, a prerequisite for a life of super crime there. Uh, what, what is your favorite supervillain alter ego, uh, bad or <laughs> not? <laughs>
2: Uh, it it is Oswald actually. I have like a huge I don't know. I just really love Penguin. He's just odd and creepy, and his designs. Like every time an artist draws Penguin, I get excited by how they design him. So I, um, I'm always excited to include Oswald when I can, and it's such a great name, Cobblepot. <laughs>
1: that makes it even better so he's got a middle name that doesn't often get wound up, and there's Oswald Chesterfield Cobblepot. <laughs> when you How get the whole name, it's, that is honestly, there's only one other DC villain with a name that's almost that good, and it also does require the three parts. Uh, it would be one of Captain Marvel, Shazam's uh
2: mm-hmm.
1: nemesis, Thaddeus Bodog Sivana. Wow. Again, there's a level of pretension which is both part of both of those characters. They're both these sort of I'm smarter than you, I'm better than you characters, so you need the full name to really embrace just what a pair of pretentious dicks they are. <laughs>
0: <That's> <laughs> but but Matt awesome. Bodog is an awesome middle name. Yes. Bodog. That's, like, that's the kind of thing you try to get yourself called in college.
1: Yeah, just call me Bodog. Bodog. Oh, that's a great name. So, the first issue of uh, Future State, Harley Quinn, you had a bunch of villains. I mean, we've already talked about Crane specifically, but you've also got uh, Professor Pig and Firefly and Black Mask at the end. Were you sort of given a list of the villains who were available, or did you come in with villains? <laughs> because, I mean, you know, Black Mask, ever since Ed Brubaker made him uber creepy, and thanks to the Birds of Prey film, he's got his own, you know, following. And Professor yeah. Pig is probably the most recent addition to Batman's Rogue's Gallery that is sort of elevated I mean he's been on cartoons he's been on TV he's been in video games and I mean Scarecrow's top 10 but there's also Firefly who's you know got a great visual but is rarely falls into that top 10.
2: Yeah I kind of went looking for uh, especially in the case of Firefly kind of some forgotten or uh, lower-tier Batman villains that don't get used as much. Um, one reason for that was, uh, you know, Simone is so good at design work, and someone like Firefly, I instantly, you know, I was talking with the editor, and we were both like, Simone could, like, really create a cool design for a futuristic Firefly. Um, so, I mean, I think that was, that was definitely part of it. Yes, there was some consideration of like which villains we could use and how to place them. Since there are so many future state books kind of happening simultaneously, we didn't want to kind of run into the issue of like, oh, this person, I don't know, dies over here or something. And then all of a sudden, here they are resurrected, which I know happens in comic world. But, um, you know, for only a two month event, we were trying to avoid a lot of these uh, complications as much as possible. So um, Pig was one that I asked for specifically because I just love the design of Pig. And also, I, I was also trying to pick characters that were so weirdly neurotic in ways that were specific for Harley to pick apart so their undoing is something about their psyche that's really specific Um, and you know talking about pyromania which of course I went down a weird rabbit hole just reading all day long about like pyromaniacs um, and getting to kind of add some of that in there getting to play with pig and the mother complex which was um, and his like strive for perfection and like <laughs> that was so much fun to write um, as she's kind of sparring so that was another consideration was just like which characters in this universe are just so fucked up that Harley can dismantle their psyches
1: <laughs> you definitely got two of the more psychologically unbalanced bat rogues and that's saying something <laughs> that's Yeah, that right. That rogues it's, a,
2: it's a long list <laughs> <laughs> We couldn't have gone wrong, I think, but um, I'm really thrilled with the designs that Simone did. And uh, just, I think especially Pig was one that I was just really pushing for. Um, but I was really excited, you know, getting to include, I, I think I got everything I asked for up front, which was, you know, including Scarecrow, including Pig, that was um, an ask. Firefly was between someone else and Firefly, and I cannot remember who the other character was now. Um, and then black mask we got right away, um, which I was excited about. So, um, and part of me wanting to do that one too is just like I wanted to write a character where I heard Ewan McGregor's voice uh, while writing them, and uh, yeah, it was selfish, and I'm not sorry. So,
0: <laughs> nor should you be. Um, I, no, I definitely like the the pig redesign with the with like the gas mask now. That was that was a nice touch. Uh,
2: yeah, it was really cool.
0: So uh, considering this is a line-wide event and you're sharing a sandbox with, you know, next Batman and Dark Detective and, and, and all the backup stories and everything, you know, how much, uh, you know, free reign did you have to design the, the future in your book? You know, did you have to go in with like, you know, were there a lot of ground rules going in?
2: Um, you know, I think there was actually a lot more room to play than I expected, like just a lot of cool design work we got to do, like designing the uh, magistrate's prison that Harley's being held in and like wanting to make something really sleek. And I think I told Simone, like, I just want like a lot of glass, (laughs) something that's really sparse, really open, Um, you know, as opposed to I think we're used to seeing in Gotham a lot of like kind of dirty, um, dark, like wet prison cells and it's just i wanted the exact opposite like the magistrate is someone with a lot of resources and a lot of money and i wanted that to be really clear in all of the design and we got a lot of room to play with that and i think you know again someone who just nailed it his design sense is really really incredible um so that was a lot of fun to see to come Uh, see that come together. Um, I was given some scripts from like other writers just to get a sense of like here's where other characters are at this moment in Gotham especially since um, I think there are some places Black Mask appears besides ours so like making everything kind of match up and I actually think that that's really exciting especially moving into Infinite Frontier. This is something we're doing as well which is really making like a unified Gotham. Like we all talk to one another Um, We have, you know, calls all the time to just go over, like, here's what happens and everybody's like next issues and what our plans are for the next few months. That way we can kind of make everything sync up. So I think that's really cool because it's almost like a a giant sandbox for the readers, too, where it's not like when two things sync up, it's like a coincidence. We, We planned a lot of this months in advance and then seeing it all connect like one gigantic puzzle is, I think, going to be super cool and good payoff for fans, too.
1: As someone who came up reading bat books in the 90s when you had the same three writers on the three core bat books for something like seven years and their plots all weaved in and out of each other's, that yeah. sounds incredible. And it makes <laughs> me so happy. I miss that feeling.
2: Yeah. no, really, I think it'll be cool. And it is to the point also where like, I don't see any reason why you couldn't pick up Harley and just read Harley and have any issue with that. Like, there's, there, there's very little of the, like, C issue, whatever, from somebody else's run. We're really trying to, at least in the lines that I've seen, kind of minimize some of that. There's a lot of alluding to the Joker War, because, again, we're really post-Joker War, and this is seeing what's going on in Gotham at that time. But I think it would be silly to be like, uh, these characters all live in the same city and never run into one another, yet have really complicated relationships and pasts with each other. So I am super glad that, you know, that's a big consideration for all of Gotham is, um, you know, communicating between the creative teams and building something really unified.
0: Um you know now now that you've you're you're you know doing a lot more with with dc you know are are there ways with working you know with dc editorial is different from from say you know when you're doing a book at at aftershock or dark horse
2: hmm uh i mean i i think for me personally i just i like the editorial experience because sometimes i get like way too in my own head so having this other person that's super invested this in the story is exciting for me because i get to go to them and be like hey i had these like ideas which one is the best which one is really stupid and kind of have somebody else like calm your mind down <laughs> a little bit like make you know that you're not way out in left field and doing something like wildly stupid uh which is really nice and also the editors at dc the amount that they know about dc like from the beginning of DC to now is like, sometimes I just wanna sit there and quiz them. Like there's no way you just know all of this, but they do. And it's incredible because like, as much as I have grown up my whole life reading DC and would say, I know quite a bit about DC. I mean, it's an extensive universe and just keeping track of like, you know, I'm, I'm working on something today that includes a lot of Gotham villains, but it becomes like, which ones are dead? Uh, which ones are in prison, which ones are at large. And it's like one of those things where the editor just like snapped right into like Wikipedia mode and started reciting where like 10 different villains are in Gotham at one time. And I was just like, this is incredible. Thank you. Um, So that, I mean, that's really cool. Like having editors that are all in one big shared universe and seeing how everything connects in that way. I find that really exciting. Um, Obviously with creator owned stuff, I think there's a lot more of like, It's harder to say that I am specifically wrong and like bringing in a character or something because I created them. Mm. So I think it is a lot more open. Um, But I, you know, I think there's benefits to both and I like writing both ways, to be honest, like I, I do like some of the sandbox play. And that's because, you know, again, I grew up with it, like, if there are instructions for like how black mask operates i think that's cool like absolutely i don't you know i don't want to write a black mask who does something wildly different than what black mask does because that's not black mask if that makes sense I, <laughs> uh,
0: I-, I do like the idea that you could just randomly f- you know like fire a character's name at an editor and they'll just yeah. like shout where they're
2: at. <laughs> like you're just I'm on the call start- and <laughs> in the middle
0: of talking to them you're just like amygdala <laughs>
2: I'm going to start this and just see how long it takes for them to catch on that I'm doing this. <laughs> it is it is impressive. Like the editorial uh just knowledge is very very impressive. Um and really helpful like getting to write all that and you know sometimes just learn a lot new of new stuff about the DC universe I didn't know. <laughs>
0: While we were talking just then, uh, for the listeners, Matt was honestly thinking very hard about where Amygdala is right now. <laughs>
1: yes. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of the things where Amygdala is one of those characters that died before the Universal reboot. And so it's kind of like, okay, where have we seen him since the Universal reboot? He was in Batman Eternal, but have we seen him since Eternal? Yeah, I, I was doing that thing. <laughs> It's that moment where I'm just using people pointing me, going nerd, and me going yes. (laughs)
0: That's awesome. But um, you know, as as we've mentioned, you know, you're working with some great artists uh, on Harley. Uh, You know, we've talked a lot about uh, Simone. uh, You know, your your art partner on Future State, uh, who's also killing it on uh, We Only Find Them When They're Dead. Uh, And then for the ongoing, you're gonna have Riley Rosmo. Uh, who drew one of our favorite books of 2019, uh, *March and Manhunter* with Steve Orlando? Yeah. Um, how are you enjoying these current your your current collaborators? Because you know, oh, artways are incredible. pretty great.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it it really is. Um, Riley and uh, Ivan Placencia on covers. Um, it's it's an incredible team. <laughs> uh, Riley's is, is really fun to work with and we already had that relationship kind of coming into this. So um, it kind of feels like, you know, there was no real like introductory period. We just from day one, like, you know, the minute we both found out we were on the book, we were already like, here, we're doing this back and forth, like, you know, just texting all day long. And, um, you know, it's, it's really nice to have that relationship where throughout the day he can Um, You know, today we're doing some designs for a very specific building that will be new to Gotham and just kind of going back and forth on even little things that are like window placements that will be used for something later in a story where I think that payoff is going to be so cool where I get to communicate with him where it's like something that might appear in issue two Uh, But there's going to be payoff for the specific design, you know, in like issue eight, where it's like, we're thinking that far ahead in terms of what we're doing early on. And I think part of that is because we just we have such a good relationship uh, in collaboration already, that we get to kind of use that a lot to like do things super collaboratively to build um, Harley Quinn's portion of Gotham as as we're working and I, I personally I love that and then it becomes inspiring you know when he creates something where he's like oh I just thought you know Harley would look cool in this outfit and it's like okay well now I have to write an issue where we work this in because it's so cool <laughs> um, and I think that's where a lot of the fun will come from where it's like you know I know there will be this overarching story and parts of Gotham are very dark but I hope one of the things that comes through is just how much fun we've had really working with each other on this on this book.
0: Uh, From the preview art I've seen it definitely looks that way. Um, And then uh, talking about uh, you know planting window placements for later, (laughs) it just reminded me of, I don't know if you've ever seen Wayne's World 2, but the scene (laughs) where they're walking back and forth across the street with just a giant sheet of plate glass and and Wayne just turns to camera and says you have to wonder if that's going to come in handy later. (laughs)
2: Yes. We need a line like that in the book. (laughs) That's amazing.
1: Uh, You're also working with uh, artist Laura Braga for a short in the first issue of the new uh, Batman Urban Legends anthology, which is a Harley and Ivy short. Is this, and I'm going to go with the (laughs) terrible pun here uh planting seeds for things (laughs) later in your book or is this sort of dealing with this relationship at this point because ivy seems to have all sorts of other things going on right
2: now yeah um and i like the pun because the story is actually titled new roots so i mean (laughs) we're all on the same page with the plant puns um Yeah, so, I mean, the Harley and Ivy relationship is really important to me, and it's something that I want to, uh, like, it's not about just placating readers, but I want to make sure people know that that is a part of this universe, like, that has not been forgotten, especially not by Harley, so, you know, if you don't physically see Ivy show up, you know, here or there, like, here's what her presence is in Harley's life, and uh so we wanted to create a story uh, and i think laura is just an absolutely incredible artist and i i asked for her specifically on this because she just draws an amazing harley and an amazing ivy um so i you know i wanted to include this story that says here's Uh, Like, I think we're seeing little bits and pieces so far of where Ivy is starting to, all right, plant puns, sprout back up in Gotham. Um, But I want to know what that impact is on Harley's life specifically and where Harley is going to take that. So so, um, it's an eight page, kind of like a prequel i guess it kind of ties in i think it comes out maybe a week or two before the harley ongoing and so i think it will answer honestly one of the biggest questions that fans have which is where is ivy going to be in this story and i wanted to also answer like here's what the creative team kind of sees for the harley ivy dynamic as well
0: i just realized i did a little quick googling that laura also did the uh harley and ivy meet betty and veronica series yes <laughs> that's awesome <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah she she's great and her instagram too i know she's been drawing a lot of cool like pinups ups of, of the two of them lately and did a few that were like christmas themed that are just really really gorgeous so I'm, I'm excited for people to see what she's been working on
1: especially since the new 52 has sort of as has her profile has been so big in the DC universe and she's been sort of all over the place. I mean, Harley, she was running with the suicide squad at the same time that she had her own ongoing and mm-hmm. continuity is never quite lined up, but
2: right. nonetheless
1: that, that gave her a really wide and expansive cast around her. Mm-hmm. Are we going to be seeing any of her, you know, suicide squad friends, any of those yeah. Connor Palmiotti characters, the Humphreys characters, mm-hmm. or are you kind of like, okay, I want to, you know, not, well, not throwing out the baby with the bathwater, sort of deal with Harley as she is now. And we'll see where maybe any of those wacky characters show up later.
2: Yeah. uh, I mean, I think it's a little of both. So one consideration is she's left Coney Island. She's moved back to Gotham. uh, But that doesn't mean that this past that's been set up on Coney Island is just disregarded and forgotten. Like we definitely want elements of that to come back and, you know, reflect on her past in Coney Island, so seeing some of perhaps familiar faces um, and things from her past coming back for sure. Um, I will also say, you know, we're creating a couple of new things for the Harley universe that I think will um, tie into the larger Gotham and what's going on post Joker War in um, maybe a weird way, and I mean weird in a good way, hopefully. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I mean, it's it's a combination. We're definitely I want to bring in some of the the old. I'm a big Jimmy, uh, Palmiotti, and Amanda Connor fan. Um, so, you know, obviously I have a lot of cool stuff from their universe to play with and bring in. Um, well, also, like you said, some of the fun of Harley is getting to create weird situations, weird people, other characters for her to kind of uh, mesh with. Um, and so there will be some new faces as well.
0: How much uh, Harley cosplay have you been sent and or tagged in uh, since it was first announced that you'd be writing her?
2: Surprisingly more than I expected. Uh, That's (laughs) new for me and it is really cool. Um, I think someone actually showed me like just a full-on video of them making Harley cosplay and I am just blown away by a skill that I will never possess. Like watching somebody sew something and then watching them wear like a costume that, you know, Riley and I spent so much time on, like, you know, just uh every little detail of that costume has been discussed, like, you know, placement of a color or a design or the belt or no, like every little thing. And then seeing somebody just beautifully wear that, it's like, oh, that's really perfect. And uh it's exciting. It's like, that is That is one of the coolest parts of writing a character like this that engagement and people that are like the book's not even out yet and they're like we're in we like this and that's that's a really cool feeling
0: i uh i wrote a piece uh for my day job when the suicide squad movie came out uh four years ago uh, specifically about uh harley cosplayers uh and i found like you know two nearby and after the story was published uh, when they both realized that each other was in the story, they both messaged me like, this is not, and I don't, this is not endemic to Harley cosplayers. It was just these two specific ones were like, oh, you talked to her? Wow, really? That's... <laughs>
2: Oh, is there some? It's just uh, weird. Some yeah, just some, going on in the cosplay community.
0: Strange bad blood. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know weird. what happened there, but.
1: <laughs> so we talked about that you've worked with uh, Riley Rosmo before mm-hmm. uh, in the Crimes of Passion one shot uh, where you did a Wildcat story. I have a very deep love. And for that character, for a very kind of specific reason, um, my, I never really knew my paternal grandfather. He passed when I was very young, uh, but he was a prize fighter. So I've always kind of have this picture of him as Ted Grant. Um, I like that. What's, wh- why did you go for Wildcat?
2: Um. So I was actually brought in specifically to write Wildcat. And I think for me, that's what makes it, cooler um so they wanted a wildcat story and someone I knew at DC I had had like a run-in with and they knew that I was a fighter and I coached Muay Thai and boxing for a long time and they were like wouldn't it be cool if we had somebody that actually knew how to fight right Ted Grant um and they they kind of brought me in specifically for Ted and I could not be more thrilled that that was my first DC character because um, I, I also have a love for him and I think a lot of my love comes from like after stepping out of the ring and kind of going more on the coaching path after I you know was done fighting. Fighters have a shelf life and uh, sometimes your body just can no longer take it and I think Ted has continuously... Said, screw the shelf life. And that's like, so many of us want to do that. And Ted has really pushed through that for better or worse. And I think that's a mentality I really get so when they were like oh yeah it has to be a love story i was like there's nothing ted loves more than fighting and so the love story while there is like a love story happening in the background a more traditional love story the the love story for ted is that "Eh, he just wants to punch people and that's what he loves (laughs) it's like uh you know i i like that i think that there's a lot of different types of love and if that's what ted loves then it's still it's still a love story so um, I was really excited that I got to write Ted, and then of course the minute they were like, "Oh, Riley's going to draw it," I was I was thrilled. And I remember the first time I talked to Riley, I was I was so nervous. I was like, "Oh my God, who am I to tell Riley Ross what to draw?" Um, but he was he was so nice and so enthusiastic about the story and working together. And immediately after, he was like, "We just have to keep working together because um, we just we really meshed." So um, I'm excited that a little while later, we were able to make that a reality. Cool.
1: Very, very cool. And on top of all of that, you just wrote the debut digital first issue of the new Wonder Woman anthology, Sensational Wonder Woman, (laughs) which came out last week digitally and will be out in print in March. Um, So you have now written DC's two sort of biggest female icons at this point uh but i've got to imagine it's kind of different writing diana than it is writing harley
2: (laughs) yeah very different um you know i i i sometimes joke that like my first line of defense when writing a character like superman or diana uh my instinct is like to find the flaw and i think with with clark it's even though he is an alien it's easier because you have somebody that was raised in a very human setting that gives him a lot of human flaws and even though I do firmly believe that he is the best of us like as that mirror society Clark is the best of us he still has some flaws and some of those might be like how hard he is on himself um, or you know trying to save the world and having to reconcile with not being able to fix every single problem and I I think that's important to Clark. Uh, Diana is such a I don't want to say tougher because that sounds negative and that's not how I mean it, but she's so distinct in that she doesn't have that really human upbringing. She was literally raised to be nothing but a warrior. Like this is who she is. Um, So when I was asked to write some of the Sensational Wonder Woman, which uh, I have this first installment with Megan Hetrick and then I'll be back on Sensational Wonder Woman, I think in June. Um, for a actually a longer run and for both of the stories that we're doing in Sensational Wonder Woman I, I was like in what ways can I put her in just the worst situations for Diana and so the first one I came up with was Housewife in the 50s <laughs> because it was just like what is Diana just not going to react well to um and the second one I, I won't give away what it is but I feel like it's an even more awkward situation for Diana um an even more bizarre situation to see Wonder Woman kind of fight her way out of um but in both cases yeah that was kind of my starting point which was like how can I make Wonder Woman just a complete fish out of water and watch her kind of flail to react to something she never thought would happen to her so um and Megan Hetrick and Marissa Louise did really incredible work on the first installment. I think issue part two of that is out this week on the 13th. So that'll kind of wrap up that, that first major issue. Um, and then I think by June, I'll have four more issues of that coming out. So, yeah.
0: Awesome. Now, now, at this point, you know, we've, we've talked about writing Harley, Wonder Woman, Superman. You know, do you, do you still have a few characters left on your wish list uh, from DC? <laughs>
2: Um, I did. I had two characters on the wish list, and I have since written both. They just haven't been announced. Um, nice. Yeah. Uh, one is going to be a little surprising that it was on my wish list, and I think it was, uh, DC was a little surprised as well because they actually asked me the question they asked me what characters I want to write. And, uh, within, I would say a month of me telling them I had written... The two characters that i gave them and i'm really excited so uh, one is drawn and i've seen the artwork for it, and it's uh pro it might be outside of harley my favorite thing i've ever worked on and then um the other one is still in the scripting stage but it's my all-time favorite character and i cannot believe i got to write them so i'm i'm pretty happy over here you're writing all the dc things so you know whatever <laughs> else they ask me you know i i think part of it too is editors get to know you and kind of can sense a good fit. I don't know, as much as I love Tarly, I don't know that I ever would have said that was a good fit for me. And the editor was like, uh, really adamant that it would be a good fit. And he knows best, like he was right. As soon as I started writing it, I was like, oh my God, you're right, this like fit like a glove. I can get into this script easier than most other things I've ever written. Um, So I think that was a really smart call on their part.
0: Well, that, that that's great. But, uh, you know, moving on, I wanted to make sure that, you know, we also talk about the non-DC things, uh, you know, th- where you still have plenty of stuff coming out. Uh, you also have Nuclear Family coming out uh, next month from uh, Aftershock. Um, I was going to read this spiel, but then I remembered, Matt, you're very good at that. <laughs> you ma- you want to take that next graph there, buddy?
1: <laughs> sure thing. What would have happened if the 1950s Cold War had gotten far less cold? aftershock comics new series nuclear family attempts to answer that question with a story about a korean war veteran and his family who have to deal with a nuclear war literally in their own backyard
0: well i've got chills um so (laughs) this one's based on a, a philip k Dick short uh breakfast at twilight uh you know beyond that what is is the uh the origin of this project for you
2: Yeah, uh, Aftershock kind of sent me the short and asked me what I thought of it, (laughs) and it's really short, uh, like really short. I think by like maybe page eight of issue one, we really exhausted most of the material that came from Philip K. Dick, and we kind of use it as a setup point. which is kind of a cool writing exercise to just kind of use this Philip K. Dick theme as like a here's a brief setup and then here's what happens, I think, after the Philip K. Dick story um, or here's what would come next. So I tried to really channel like a little bit of Philip K. Dick, obviously some Twilight Zone, um, just weird things from that era that could make this um, a slightly more unique alternate reality kind of thing than we've seen. So. Um, I didn't want this to feel super familiar. And I think one of the things that that's really cool is Tony Shassin, my um, artistic partner on this project, uh, did some really cool design work, but he's also a, da- a dad. And so pulling like a family into this weird post-apocalyptic, um, still at war, alternate reality, landscape kind of thing, Um, You know, it's a husband and his wife and two kids who are stuck in this mess. And a lot of times you have some cool stuff happening in the interactions between the family members. And I think a lot of that also comes from Tony, like not having kids myself. I think it's cool to get to see Tony draw these like little moments where, uh, you know, the little kid looks up up at his dad for like confirmation that we're going to be okay. And the dad has to be on, like despite the fact that in the next room, you know, the reader saw the dad being tortured, thats something the family didn't see and the dad has to come back in here and be a dad. Like this is, um, you know, I think beyond cool things that are going on with the uh, potential apocalypse and, uh, you know, nuclear alternate realities. Uh, There's a lot of really cool family dynamic stuff. And that's something that, you know, Tony and I got to really collaborate on coming at it from two very different perspectives.
0: This, this is this is gonna be like a like a project lightning round at this point. Um <laughs> you also got to take a crack at uh, Rick and Morty over at Oni. Uh you know, we've had a few creators who've done Rick and Morty comics uh come on the show, and it sounds like they get to get, you know, as crazy as they want, more so than you know, they might on other licensed properties. Uh, you know, do you feel that holds true?
2: <laughs> yes. Um That was a ton of fun to write. Uh, Ryan Lee is just an absolutely incredible artist. And there are just pages where the entire page is just like covered in mutants, uh, because we were were writing the Deathstalkers kind of spin off. Um, So the Deathstalkers, for anyone who's not familiar, they are like these mutated Kind of like zombie-like creatures in a post-apocalyptic um, reality that Rick and Morty sometimes travel to. Um, so we're following Hemorrhage, the at the time the main Death Stalker, and kind of what happened after Summer left Hemorrhage, and it's it's really Hemorrhage's story. That of course Rick and Morty will come and probably fuck up. Um, <laughs> And it is still my favorite story of all time. That the ending was changed because I was told by Cartoon Network that it was too dark. So.
1: Okay, right. <laughs> you were told by the people that make Rick and Morty <laughs> that it was too dark. Yes, spells.
2: Um, so it's a little bit nicer now. <laughs> Um, and I do have that in writing And I'm very proud of it Like oddly proud of it But um, Like I I, I, lo- I do like What we changed it to And I, I love the story as a whole unit But I just think that that's pretty funny That I found a way for them to be a little squeamish So <laughs>
0: uh, Okay but also Now I'm going to start the release the Philip Scott campaign <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yes. <laughs>
0: uh, all right. Uh, then we've also got uh, Tarna, the uh, the the sort of badass poster woman for uh, heavy metal. Um, how did this How did this gig find you?
2: I had done some work with Joe Illedge um, mm-hmm. when he was, or maybe, I think he's still with a um, Wave Blue World, and so I had done a YA book with Joe there, and then he moved to Heavy Metal and uh, you know he called me and asked me like what I think of Tarna and I you know it's kind of a leading question you know (laughs) it's like well she's definitely badass and she's got a giant sword which are things that I quite like in a character Um, and so you know he asked me if I wanted to help pen you know the relaunch of this character for for heavy metal and uh, that was a lot of fun getting to uh, I think it's very different from a lot of the stuff I write which I like very street level grounded um, you know, something like Harley Quinn, where she's walking around the streets of Gotham, as opposed to Tarna, who is like a living embodiment of a universe <laughs> mm-hmm. and like has to save dying sons. Like that's that's big. Um, it's very cosmic in a way that I haven't written before. So I was pretty excited to get to kind of take on a character that is unlike anything I've ever written. Um and I think, you know, the artwork came out beautifully. Patrick Searcher is doing the first two issues. Um and then we have—I'm actually not sure—it's been announced—but there are two different artists that do the next two installments. So the issue comes out in like two issue portions with a different artist attached to each two issues.
0: Um, had you had a lot of exposure to heavy metal or or, or sort of the, the the European comics magazine format uh, prior to this?
2: A little bit. I mean, I read Heavy Metal. Um, I had some older issues of it. I definitely like some of the artwork. Like, you know, I I liked Mobius a lot. So um, I was pretty familiar with it. And I was familiar with the movie, but you know, watching it as an adult, as like someone that's about to write Tarna, and you like rewatch the movie, it's, it's very different. Like watching it as just like a, a fully formed adult, and you're just like, this is, this was some wild memories. What this movie was, and you're like, <laughs> what the hell is this? Um, it's, and I think that's part of the fun of heavy metal is just getting to try something completely out there. And that's heavy metal, like getting to experiment in a way that maybe you don't with other licensed characters. Uh, you know, I can go make Tarna, like, I mean, I think that's the first thing I propose she do is like, how is she different from another kind of galactic superhero? Here's Tarna turning a sun on. <laughs> like, that's that's pretty cool to me. Um, and it's it's something that's super cosmic and getting to explore her relationship to the universe that she both protects and embodies, which I think is a really interesting dynamic for her as well. Um, That allows for a lot of empathy for this character in a way that's not just Superman can hear a bunch of people having problems, Tarna feels it. Like when she has to kill somebody, she's going to feel every single blow from her sword to this creature that is a part of her reality. And uh, yeah, I think that's a super kind of interesting dynamic for a a kind of superhero.
1: Sounds like a trip. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you mentioned the All Ages, uh, or the book from Wave Blue World, which is the All Ages Avery, uh, with uh, Dave Johnson co-writing and art from Marika Cresta. Um, this is your return to All Ages after Kicking Ice, which we talked about with you Back in your first time, back in the before times, before (laughs) the empire. Uh, 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 Have you missed that all ages uh, writing?
2: It's really difficult. And I mean, I think that that's kind of a good challenge as a writer. I, I feel like, you know, humor and things like that for adults, you know, if you add some swear words and things like that, it's like, oh, here's an adult book with with teens or all ages. I feel like there's an element of being clever that is often overlooked when you're writing for adults. So it definitely makes it difficult. And, you know, you've got myself and, and Dave Johnson writing that and every other word out of our mouths is fuck. So um, it's like... <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) having to, uh, having, you know, team meetings where the two of us are like brainstorming things. It's like, sometimes we have to be like, oh no, this is a, you can't do that. This is like a kid's book. So, um, I mean, I think it definitely makes it interesting because we took a concept that really could be YA or could be adult. And we really did decide we wanted to go down the YA route with this concept. And, uh, I think like one of our big considerations for that is we're dealing so much with social media, and you know I look at my sister who's ten years younger than me. I look at her relationship to like the internet and social media and how different it is compared to mine. Or like spend literally five minutes on TikTok and get confused about everything in the world <laughs> and feel like I am a grandparent. Um, <laughs> and that was kind of the target here. Is like, how do I go learn about? their relationship to social media and that's really of, what I want to portray not my generation not a millennial's relationship to social media uh, which I feel like we were kind of in the very beginning of like my space but like what is it now what is it to that generation currently and um, so that was kind of our, our decision to go down the YA route with that one
0: and then uh, finally, uh, I think I saw this teased on Twitter today. It looks like you've got something out there with uh, Peter Krauss, Ellie Wright, and uh, your frequent letterer, Troy Pateri. Yeah. Um, wh- when do you think that'll get announced?
2: Ooh, um, so we've been promised that we get to announce it in like probably the next few months. It could be sooner than that. Um, so uh, it's, it's another creator owned that is going to be, Um, like crime noir style. And uh, Dave is doing all the covers. They are absolutely like mind-blowingly gorgeous. Like we actually had a call today where um, each cover has just been so amazing that we were like, do we want to change the order the covers appear? Because the issue like three cover was so incredible. We were like, do we want it to be issue one? They're just so good. Um, And of course, Peter Krause is both an amazing collaborator and just an amazing artist. Like everything he touches is just, how did you draw that? Like, how can another human being create something this gorgeous? So, um, and him on noir and crime is just a perfect fit. So, I was really glad we could find a home for that, and then also, you know, a collaborator as perfect as Peter. It's um, taking place in the 1930s, so I think it's going to have a really cool kind of vibe to it going on
0: sounds great. Um given given all of this, the uh you know, b- between the comics work and, and and the PhD and everything, do you do you feel like you're 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 busier uh you know, now than you were like a year ago?
2: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um it's it, it's definitely in a good way. Um you know, what I wanted to do was write comics and seeing that kind of career goal actualize is is a really nice feeling to Um, you know, I remember days where I would teach more or take on adjuncting work and writing was kind of like a nice hobby. Um, so for this to kind of turn into my actual full-time job is really, uh, I don't know. I didn't know that I would ever get to this point. And I'm, I'm honestly just really grateful that I've been able to kind of transition into that, into that place. So hopefully keep that up for as long as I can.
0: Um, uh, we, you know, we touched on this a little bit, uh, you know, generally you're an athletic person. Um, you know, you play hockey, uh, you, you, you've done uh Muay Thai, which uh, I cannot believe we're just getting to this in, in your third <laughs> appearance on the show, but that's on us. Uh, uh, how are you, how are you staying active in these, in these shitty times?
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so tough. Um, I, I took a, which I used to run as like a, a workout with, you know, Muay Thai, one of the policies in the gym is, you know, if you don't run every day, you're not on the fight team, Uh, the rule, and it's like posted giant on the wall, uh, no run, no fight. Um, So you're kicked off the fight team if you don't run, you know, X amount of miles in 20 minutes or whatever it is. Um, And, but it was never like my sport. It was always just like the warm-up and now we're doing Muay Thai. And so I decided to try to get more, like just become like a runner. Like I'm, I would put that in like quotes strongly, like quote runner. Um, <laughs> that is, uh, it is hard. <laughs> um, and then especially being in Buffalo, I'm from Florida. And so the minute it hit below 70, I was like, I'm so cold. I'm so cold. <laughs> um, my face would freeze. My eyeballs would freeze. Um, so that's been a little tough, but um, I did invest in quite, quite a lot of like home gym equipment to try, try to do that since I can't really go to the Muay Thai gym or anything like that.
0: Um, me too. I, I literally like for Christmas, I became a home gym guy. My wife got me yeah. like a, whole, like a weight set and I have to like buy a bench and put it together. Yes.
2: Oh, I just got it. Yeah. I just got a bench. I tried to do a stationary bike, which is not my favorite thing in the world. Um, Like I like actual bicycles, but a stationary bike just seems like I'm not going anywhere. I don't understand (laughs) the purpose of this contraption. Um, So that's not my favorite. Uh, When I was, I did drive, I drove like 19 hours to Florida to see my parents. And I stayed with them for like a little over a month. And that was nice because I could like running in Florida makes more sense to my sure. body <laughs> though. I also understood why I could lose weight so much faster in Florida. Cause I ran once and I like, I was sweating. So I was like, Oh man, this is how, it's how you lose like 10 pounds just in one run. This is insanity.
0: <laughs> the exercise is living in Florida.
2: <laughs> exactly. Like you walk to your car and you sweat off like three pounds <laughs> in December. It was very hot.
1: So uh, neither of us could remember if we had done this bit with you before. So we figured we would do it again if we had already done it. And if not, well, great. Uh, <laughs> so welcome to Pet Corner. Well, tell us about your cats.
2: <laughs> I love Pet Corner. What? This is great. Um, <laughs> my, my cats are Samson and Maya. And um, Samson is a gigantic, like 20 pound Maine coon. Um, But I have to shave him. Yesterday, I had like, they have like gorgeous long hair, but he has digestive issues. So I have to shave him. So yesterday, I had to um, spend about an hour in the bathroom trying to hold down a 20 pound cat who was very angry and shave him, which was because it's a pandemic. I can't really, I didn't really want to take him somewhere. So that was. That was a fun thing. And then Maya is angry at the world and I loved that about her. So, it's very relatable actually. She will she's glaring at me right now. She's like I hear this and I hate it. I admire her.
0: <laughs> uh, M- Matt recently became the head of a two cat household.
1: Yes. We, two weeks. It was two, we, we picked up our new buddy two weeks ago. Well, we've had Bess. Bess has been with us for seven years. She, she, we adopted her and she was Miss Elizabeth. And that was far too much of a, ma- a mouthful. And she's not a Miss Elizabeth. She's a Bess. She, she's, she's little and not too bright and wants oh. to just be on your lap all yeah. day, if at all possible. And she, she does that now that I work from home all the time again. Um, and our new buddy is Cal with a K. Like and, and that's how we adopted <laughs> is he him. No, it, it, it apparently came from his full name is something from a series of books that I haven't read, but my wife has. Um, but I've we, we've decided it is just Cal. And since our last name is Lazowitz, you know, we shorten it, and he's just now Cal L, which just makes me happy because oh, I'm a big old nerd. Cool. Um, he is very big. And very old and very sweet. And he's just sort of, you know, the the chillest cat anyone has ever encountered. He just sort of, you know, wanders around. He is currently living in our dining room, since, you know, we aren't having people over. Uh, And that gives him a nice big room with all these things to jump up on and does not impinge on. Bess's ruling of the house and now after two weeks they're, they're fine or Bess is finally not growling every time she sees him and is starting to get curious so we're hoping that within the next week or so we'll be able to open the door and let them interact.
2: very nice yeah let me know how that goes i introducing new cats to one another is always terrifying to me
1: i i posted a picture on twitter yesterday of the two of them eating on opposite sides of of the glass door (laughs) because that was one thing we've we've learned that you know we're told that you feed them you they will then associate good things with seeing each other by getting their food at the same time so that's a great idea yeah yeah and so we started that a few days ago. In the past couple of days, we've left the door cracked open. Not, We've left it sort of jammed so they can't actually or Bess can't get through. Because even though Cal outweighs her by three or four pounds, she's going to be the alpha when they interact because she's much more high strung.
2: Yep. That's how mine are. the The little seven pounder is in charge of the twenty pound cat.
1: And and they're both seniors, so neither of they're both they're both elderly, and they both have kidney disease. So Mm -hmm. we're, you know, I mean, neither of them are anywhere near like the end stages of kidney disease. (laughs) But they're both, you know, neither of them are, you know, going out there being wild little. Hey, Bess, she just wandered. (sighs) She just kind of. Wandered in, walked around under the bed, and then popped out again, uh, which is, you know, her way.
2: That's right. <laughs> Very cool. Yes.
0: So, uh, so what are you reading these days?
2: Um, you know, I read a lot of like really like trashy murder thriller novels Mm -hmm. that's uh that's like my go-to just because you write comics all day I mean I definitely I get a lot of books every Wednesday um I'm very excited about them uh but writing comics all the time I have found that going and reading just a lot of prose at the end of the day is like a good way to separate work from Like doing something I enjoy so I don't feel Mm -hmm. like I'm I'm reading something that's associated with work. Um, I like horror like a lot. So um, one of my holiday gifts my mom just gave me one giant box of like she went to Barnes and Noble I think and just found everything that was like top rated under horror and thrillers and just filled a box with books. So I think I'm I think I've read three so far from the box and I just started the fourth last night. So um, very excited about these horrible murder st- stories. <laughs> awesome.
0: uh, well, Steph, it's been great. It's been an hour. Uh, as As we're as we're winding down, uh, how can people keep up with everything you have going on right now?
2: I primarily use Twitter. It's at Steph underscore Smash, and I forget that other social media exists. So, um, primarily just Twitter. <laughs> That's
0: good. Uh, Steph, thank you so much for coming back on the show.
2: Yeah, thank you so much for having me.
0: That's it for this week's show. As a reminder, WMQ&A is now part of ComicsXF, formerly Xavier Files, meaning you can find this podcast along with our sister podcast, Battle of the Atom and Chris's On Infinite Earths, and a ton of great comics criticism at ComicsXF.com. You can listen to wmq a on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and at ComicsXF.com where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQA at patreon.com slash WMQcomics, where just a dollar donation gets you early access to episodes, shoutouts on the podcast, and a customized bonus reading column written by Matt Lazowitz, built around the character, creator, or theme of your choice, and a $2 donation gets you a free random comic in the mail for my collection. Big thanks to our patrons, Charlie Davis from the Match Club podcast, Robert Secundus from Toxman at comicsxf.com, Carla Pacheco from Marvel Spider Woman series and Lan M from Lan's Vids. You can follow WMQ&A on Twitter at WMQComics, me at Daniel P Grote, Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013, and ComicsXF at ComicsXF. And until next week, remember to spay and neuter. Your good night and good luck. WMQA.